I believe that God has commissioned us. He has called us to make an impact. God is challenging us to answer the prayer of Jesus. Will we be united? Will we rally together? Will we come together with united momentum to change lives? Why? Because we have too many people walking in darkness, too many people separated from God, because we want to see the name of God glorified. Because as we come together with united momentum, the world will know that God sent us and that he loves them and invites them into relationship with him forever. Well, hopefully you guys are having a great weekend. Uh, how many of you are planning to watch the Super Bowl tonight? All right, all right. Here's the question. How many of you are rooting for the Eagles? Okay, some of you guys are proud about that. How many of you, you don't even like the Eagles, you're just rooting for the Eagles because you don't want to see Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots win another Super Bowl? All right, that's what I figured. Um, how many of you, you don't care who wins the Super Bowl because your team's the worst team in the NFL? All right. All right, nice. Um, for the last few weeks here at Grace, we have been going through our series called Synergize, and we've been talking about uh, how we as a church can come together to do something great. And uh, we're going to be talking about that today. We've been slowly unveiling our plans to uh, launch a brand new campus of Grace in Tiffin within the next few months. And uh, let me just tell you this, our staff, we are super excited about this. Tiffin is the perfect place uh, for us to launch a campus. Um, it's very similar to Fremont in so many ways. The main reason why we're doing this is to complete our goal, which is to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus, all right? To do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can to Jesus. But we cannot ever accomplish that goal without this one thing called unity, all right, unity. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, a few years ago, I was working here. I decided I want to go back to school to get my MBA, and I uh, started taking business classes. And as, as I was taking these classes, it seemed like the overall theme, no matter what kind of class it was, was uh, working together as a team, all right? Working together as one, how to lead a team, how to work together in a group and lead employees, really, is what they were teaching us uh, in your organization to accomplish your goals. And uh, one of the main concepts, and actually this is kind of a famous uh, quote within the business sector, I believe, it, it goes along these lines. It's, if you could get everybody in your organization rowing in the same direction, right, you could dominate any industry in any market against any competition at any time. Think about that for a second. If you could get everybody in your organization just rowing in the same direction, you could dominate any industry in any market against any competition at any time. It's a business concept. Uh, I've had the privilege of experiencing the opposite effect of this in my time. Uh, a few years ago, we, uh, I was working with middle school students. We took a group of middle schoolers down to a summer camp. And one of the things that we did at this camp for one of the afternoons was we would go rafting, right? And uh, it's, it wasn't dangerous rafting. There's no whitewater rafting. It was actually... Like, the river's like this deep. We didn't tell the kids that. Um, but uh, so we go rafting, 
And all these kids are getting their paddles. They're all pumped. And these five middle school girls, they're sixth graders and seventh graders, come up to me and they say, Pastor Zach, can you be in our raft? And I'm like, yeah, it's probably good you have an adult in your raft anyway. All right, I'm in. And uh, they get their, their paddles. Their paddles are like taller than they are. You know, we all jump on this one raft. And, and the raft people, they, they push us out in the water. All right, as soon as we get out in the water, I mean, the girls are just going crazy. Some are rowing the wrong way. Some are rowing the right way. We're going in a circle. We're not going anywhere. All right, there's one girl who's just skimming the top of the water and hitting the girl behind her in the face. It was dangerous. Literally, my life was in danger. If you give a paddle to a middle school girl, it automatically becomes a weapon. All right, it was crazy. It took us, that trip was supposed to be two and a half hours long. It's only seven miles. It's not very long. It took us over five hours to get to the end. All right, let's be honest here. After about 15 minutes, there's only one person in that rap paddling, and it's me. But uh, that's what this concept's about. If you could get everybody on the same page, you could dominate. All right, if everybody's doing their own thing and they're not working together, you're not going to get anywhere very fast. That's completely true in business, and I believe that's true in the church as well. Um, it's impossible to do anything significant by ourselves. For example, let's just take our church. This morning, we have 231 different people volunteering to make our church go. Think about that, 231 people. On a monthly basis, our church, we have about 875 serving opportunities. As me, Jeremy, and, and uh, David were going through this, we were realizing that uh, there's only about 500 people who fill those spots. All right, we got a bunch of open areas that we need help in. I mean, the pastors, we can't do it all. We can't uh, park all the cars, greet all the people as they walk in, serve coffee, do all the children's program, lead worship, and preach every Sunday. And then at the same time, we're doing this at all our other campuses. It's impossible. Literally, our church, Grace Community Church, it rests on your shoulders. All right, you guys are the ones that make this thing go. It takes a body of people to accomplish that, and it takes a certain level of unity. Now, before we jump into unity today, let me just say this. All right, let me clear something up. Unity is not the same as uniformity. All right, they're not the same. All right, we have strengthened our differences. God has created us differences. Actually, it's our differences that give us the, the ability to reach different people. If we were a church and we are all the same kind of people, we'd only be reaching one kind of people. We'd be really good at one or two things, and we'd be terrible at the other things. That's not how the church is supposed to be. See, we, uh, we all have the same value, but not everything in our life is going to be equal. Some people, they just can't, like, you know, they just can't get that. Uh, it really bothers them that not everything in our life is going to be equal. I mean, we're all different. We all know that. Uh, we have different experiences. We have different backgrounds. Uh, some people in here are wealthier than others. All right, God's going to give you different opportunities than he's going to give me. I, you know, I understand that. The Bible tells us that he, gives you, that he gives us all different gifts and abilities. And he does that for the church. Uh, God made us that way. And that is actually the reason why unity, especially in the church, is so important. See, some people can do stuff that I cannot. For example, um, the nursery, right? I can't do the nursery. I'd be terrible as a volunteer in the nursery. Um, people, people are different. Some of you ladies, you know, you love, you love crying, sick, snotty babies. You know, you're all into that. I don't understand. 
My wife is completely different from me. She loves babies. If one of her friends has a baby, she wants to go that day, the day of his birth, and see the baby. Just look at it or hold it. You know, um, I promise you, ladies out there, I will never, ever ask to hold your baby. I don't care. Not, not that I don't like your baby. I just don't know your baby, okay? It just freaks me out. Like, you know, you can eat, they're easily, you know, you can hurt them easily. But uh, as I, on Sunday mornings, walk, past the, or walk to the student center, I walk past the nursery, and I look in those big windows. What do I see? I see, it, to me, it looks like a mess. But everybody in there seems so happy, except for, you know, some of the babies. They're crying, crying babies. But some of you guys, you know, you are gifted that way that you, you're, you're good at that. It's not me. God has made us different. The Bible tells us that the church is many parts that work together to make one body. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about unity, and uh, we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians this morning. And Paul, he actually talks about unity in his letter to the church in this city called Philippi. And uh, I've said this before, but anytime you're reading the book of Philippians, you have to remember that uh, Paul, he deeply cares for these people. He knows these people. These people are his friends. Paul's actually the guy who started this church. All right, so whatever he's saying to the Philippian church, I mean, he means it. He really, really wants them to understand. And so Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, this is what it says. Paul's saying, hey, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying, hey, make my joy complete. Make me happy. Give me joy. All right, Paul, how do, how do we do that? How, how, do we, how do we give you joy? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He's saying, be united. You as a church want to give me joy? You need to be united. You need to have the same goals. You need to work together to achieve those goals. See, I feel like, you know, we totally understand the concept of unity. Every single one of us in here, you know, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to be united. We need to be together. We shouldn't be fighting with each other. A team needs to work together to win. But the problem is we get it, but we don't always do it, right? I mean, and there's a variety of reasons why we don't. God genuinely loves it when we are united. I remember growing up, um, you know, I had two younger sisters, and uh, sometimes, you know, we'd be getting along and everything would be great. And I remember, you know, when we would, sometimes we'd be, playing together like Legos or blocks or whatever that might be. And uh, sometimes my mom will walk in the room. I remember this happening throughout growing up. And uh, she would just kind of stand in the doorway and just watch us. A little weird, you know. It wouldn't take long for one of us to be like, Mom, what you doing? And uh, she would say something to the effect of, I just love watching you guys get along. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't always that way, right? We all understand that the family's not necessarily always the most peaceful place, right? Wow, your guys' families are great. <laughs> yeah, it's not always peaceful. I mean, um, for in the Pinkerton family, growing up, every year we would always go on vacation. Sounds great. We'd go on vacation every year. And we'd go, I mean, we've Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Seattle, California, all growing up. And uh, every summer we'd do something and uh, for some reason, my parents, they weren't like normal parents where we would fly. No, we drove hours, days, weeks, where 
it would be, you know, the unity in the family, let's say, gets tested when you're in the car for like a week and a half together. All right? Um, the front seat is pretty good, the front two seats, all right? You got windows all around. You can see what's going on. You know where you're going. You know when, when you're going to stop. You get to decide what food you're going to eat. Got the radio. Air condition works up there. It's nice. But man, once you get past that, that first row, it's like a war zone. It's a kid's domain. Um, you know, uh, it, it, that's when unity gets tested. I mean, the alliances, the teams, the strategies that's going on back there. Then you'd have my dad, as he's driving the car, he's getting frustrated because we're all fighting back there. And, and we've been in the car for like a week, so come on, give us a break. But then he starts doing the whole reach around and just try to hit somebody thing. You know what I'm talking about? He didn't, I don't even think he cared if he hit the right kid or not. <laughs> unity, man, it's tough. See, we have the tendency to not be united. All right, it's in our human nature. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves is, all right, so um, we, we need to be united. How? How are we supposed to do that? Because unity is tough. We get it. We understand what it is. But how are we supposed to do that? Paul actually answers this in the next verse. Actually, he lists a few things out. He says, first, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Really, I feel like the better translation from the Greek, and a lot of translations have this, is do nothing from selfish ambition and empty conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. What's he saying? Kind of the dumbed-down version is he's saying, hey, don't compete. Don't compete with each other. Right? Now, I'm all for competition. I love competition. All right? I'm competitive. Sometimes I'm too competitive. I hate competing against somebody who's not competitive because it's no fun when we beat you. All right? One team versus another. That's good. That's not what Paul's saying here. What we need to understand is that any team is brought down when, num when members of that team compete with each other. Any team is brought down when instead of working together, they decide to compete with each other. You're not going to do anything. All right? Any family is brought down when mom and dad compete with each other. All right? And by the way, kids are good at that, right? They're good at pitting mom up against dad. We've all been there because we've all been kids before where, where we go to mom and say, hey, mom, can I do this? And mom's like, no. Man, all right, mom, I'm going to go as dad, right? Kids, they're not even trying to hide it. You know, they're not, they're not trying to hide it. Kids are great at, at trying to divide mom and dad. And anytime mom and dad compete, there's going to be problems in that family. All right, anytime church members compete, there's going to be issues. And anytime church ministries compete within each other, there's going to be big problems in that church. We need to be unified, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, he's saying. Don't compete with each other. But there's more in this next part. Go back one, if you would. Um, he says, do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition, really, or empty conceit. What's he saying there? What's empty conceit? He's saying, hey, refuse to compete with each other. And don't do anything out of pride. All right, now, if you think about this, there are a lot of things that we do in life that's solely based on our pride, that we do only because of pride. All right, we're a lot of us, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. Why? It's because of pride. All right, some of us, what we do, actually, some of you, you openly criticize people, and you don't care who knows it. You don't care if that person that you're criticizing knows. You don't care if anybody around you knows. You're openly criticized. You openly criticize some of you, right? You don't openly criticize just people. Some of you openly criticize the church. 
Right? Some people do that. It's not good. Right? But most of us, this is what we do. We're, we're very sly about it and we're very slick about it, you know. Um, <clears throat> we don't necessarily openly criticize. We just throw little shots in there, here and there. Just, just, just little ones, you know. Just little, little jabs at each other where it's like, hey, um, did you hear so-and-so got a new car? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that. Man, that's a really nice car. Yeah. Man, that's a lot of debt. You know, or, or hey, did you hear so-and-so got that promotion? Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a big promotion. Yeah, that's huge. Man, that's, that's going to be a lot of hours they're going to take away from their family. You know, we, we throw these little jabs in. We disguise it, but we throw these little jabs in. And really what we're doing here is we're pushing ourselves up while we're pushing other people down. It's actually double bad because not only are we look, saying, hey, I'm better, than, I'm better than you, or maybe it's just I'm better than you think I am. But not only that, but we're, we're slamming somebody else. We push off people, all right? That's what pride does to us. We try to bring others down to elevate ourselves up. That destroys unity. It destroys it, all right? And we as a church, I feel like we do this all the time. We as people, including myself, we do this all the time. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. See, we're a team. We cannot be letting pride ruin our relationships. And the reality is that there's people in here, you've already let this happen. The reality is, is within our church our size, that there's people in here that you've already allowed your pride to ruin your relationship with somebody else in this room or somebody else that goes to church here. God's saying, you can't have that. You're not unified. Unity and pride do not go together. Unity and competition do not go together. You can't let pride get in the way of our goal. See, we need to recognize our pride, which is hard, and we need to choose not to compete. That's what he says. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, dang it, that's tough, of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. We're good at that, right? But also for the interests <clears throat> of others. He's saying, hey, don't compete with each other. Don't have pride. You actually need to have the opposite of pride. You need to have this thing called humility. Right? And let me just clear something up about humility because some people just don't, you know, some people just don't get this. Um, humility is not viewing yourself as worth less than others. All right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Humility is not viewing yourself as worth less than others. Some people, it seems like, they go around and they have a low self-esteem and they want people to know about it. You know, they go around, they complain about their life. Oh, wow, your life is so much better than mine. Oh, man, can you believe this happened to me? Oh, this happened to me, you know, yesterday. Oh, my life, my life. That's not humility. Right? Humility is not viewing yourself as worth less than others. It's really not thinking about yourself at all. And basically what Paul's saying is, whenever you are around people, you need to act like you're the lowest one, you're the lowest one there. All right? Whenever you walk into a room, you need to act like you're the lowest person in that room. Whenever you, walked, whenever you walk into your home, you need to act like your husband, your wife, your kids are more important than yourselves. All right? Whenever you walk into the workplace, like tomorrow, you need to act as if everyone in the workplace is more important than yourself. Even that person that you cannot stand. They're more important than you. You need to act that way. Whenever you walk into church, you need to act as if you, we as a church, everybody is more important than yourself. That's what humility is. 
It's an attitude. It's something on the inside. That's what he says next. He says in verse 5, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, it's an attitude. It's all on the inside. We're really good at putting up a front and saying, hey, all right, everything in my life's good. Or, hey, I'm really humble, right? We're good at that. All right, well, we're not good. What Paul's saying, what we, we need to really focus, not on the outside, we need to focus on the inside because that's what changes the outside. It's an attitude. All right, and, uh, and listen, I get it. Some people in life, some people are so annoying, you know? All right, we all understand that. Probably all of us, we're annoying to people as well. You know, some people are just so hard to get along with. Some people just rub you the wrong way. All right, some people, I wonder, as I'm working with them, I'm wondering, are they trying to be as difficult as possible on purpose? <laughs> you know, are they, are, is this on purpose or is this by accident? Because this is crazy. You know, some people are really hard to get along with, but those people are, even though they're so hard to be humble around, Paul's saying, hey, you got to have the attitude around them anyway. Those are the people you got to be united with as well. You can't just the easy ones. Some people are super easy to be united with, super easy to be humble around, to have the attitude Paul's like, no, this is everybody. And then he gives us an example, Christ Jesus. If you go on to the next verse, he says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, a lot of times when we're trying to do something, um, it's a lot easier when we have an example that we can watch in front of us. Paul's like, hey, don't compete. Don't have pride. Instead of pride, you need to have humility. Right? And he's like, hey, I'm not leaving you hanging. Here's your example. Jesus. Right here. Jesus is your example. Right? He's the perfect example. I mean, think about it. He left heaven. He didn't have to. He took the form of a man. He didn't have to, right? He limited himself. He took, um, when he came down as a man, he humbled himself. And Paul's saying he humbled himself even to the point of death. That's how humble he was. He served. He was a servant. And, and not just that, he's saying even to the point, or to the point of death, he's saying even death on a cross, even the worst death, excruciating death. What's crazy is um, before Jesus died, he actually prayed for us here today in John chapter 17, verse 20. Check this out. So this is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's talking about his disciples. He's there. He's, talking, he's praying for his followers. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who, who, also, for those also who believe in me through their word. He's talking about us today. Grace Community Church, February 4th, 2018. He said, I'm also praying for them. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. All right, isn't that crazy just to think about that Jesus 2,000 years ago was praying for us here today? That, he's praying for, that he was praying for us. He was thinking about us. He wanted unity for us. 
it's funny because um, we are always asking Jesus for things, right? I mean, we're always asking Jesus for things. We're, we're praying, God, could you give me this? God, if I could only have, if I could only afford this, you know, or God, help, you know, this person's sick, help them to feel better. You know, we got, we always are asking Jesus for things. We're always um, asking Jesus to answer our prayers. But here, check this out. We have the opportunity to be a part of the answer that Jesus prayed for today. Here, Jesus praying for us, we can be a part of the answer that Jesus prayed for. How? By being one, by being unified. Why? Well, why is this important? Who cares? What's the big deal? So that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the reason. So that we can reach people, so that we can save people from the reality of hell, which, by the way, so many of us, including myself, we have family and friends who are on the path to hell. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to, to, to view it that way. But it's true. It doesn't make it wrong. All right, that's the point in our life. That's what Paul was saying in the very first verse that we, that we looked at. He said, hey, we need to be tent on one purpose. That's our one purpose is to help people find God. That's our point in life, not to compete with each other, not to have pride, not to build ourselves up while putting others down, not to push off each other. But to act as if, or, or not to act like we were better than others. All things, by the way, let me just say that we want because of our human nature. We want, that's, that's who we are. But that's not what Christians are about. We should be about doing whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. If you actually take what Jesus is saying here so that the world may believe that you sent me, well, let's flip that for a second. Let's just ask that in a question. How are people supposed to come to God when they see his people fighting with each other? Who would want that? Why would anybody want a relationship with God when they, when they hear stories or see uh, people, God's people fighting with each other in the home? Who would want that? Why would anybody want to come to God or want to start that relationship with God when they see God's people or people that claim to be God's people in the workplace fighting with each other? Who? Who? Why would anybody want to come to a church when they see the people in that church or they hear about the people in that church fighting with each other? What person in, in their right mind, what person with any common sense would want a relationship with God when they see disunity among God's people? That's why Jesus is praying for us that day. See, he gets it. He understands. He understands how seriously important unity is to the church. And I feel like there's people out there where you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I hear you, Zach. I understand we need to be unified. I need to treat people better. You know, that's, that's an attitude. I get it. But unity isn't just an attitude. Unity leads to action. All right, it's not just going around and saying, hey, I feel pretty unified. Or, I, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm with the church. You know, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm all about the church. Unity leads to action. Let me challenge you with something this morning. Um, if you are not with, involved with grace on a monthly basis, let's say, I don't know if you could say that you're unified with us. I don't want to sound harsh. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who come. You love church. You, you, you enjoy church. Right? You talk highly of grace. We're glad that you're here. We want you here. Right? You, sometimes you give a little maybe. You come here maybe every Sunday. You talk to the people that you sit around. And then you leave. Maybe God's challenging you 
to maybe step it up a little bit. Do what he has actually called the church to do. A lot of you guys, you, a lot of people, they do that, and then they don't, they don't do anything. They don't help at all. They're not involved. It's like this. It's like you're on the boat, right? And you, we're glad that you're on the boat. We want you on the boat. Some of you guys aren't even on the boat. You have never made that, re- that decision to follow uh, Jesus. You've never made that decision to, to give your life uh, to Christ. And we want you on the boat. That's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. Some of you, you've done that. You've made that decision. And, and you're on the boat. And you got the paddle, but you refuse to row. Because it's easier, it's more convenient not to row. All right, you're busy. You're too busy to row. All right, let me just say this. When that's the case, you're almost like dead weight, right? I mean, think about it. You're just making it harder for the people that, that do row because you're making the boat heavier. It's kind of how it is here at Grace, right? We want you here. We're supposed to all come together as one and help each other. But, uh, but we, you know, we want you here. But when you refuse to help us out, when you refuse to, uh, to get involved here, to take the next step in your faith, man, you're just making it harder for the rest of us. Right, because as the church grows, we need more and more people helping us out. We need more and more people to volunteer to help our church go. That's the reality of it. Do not fool yourself into thinking that you're unified with us if you're not involved. And, and here's really the two things that you're doing. Number one, you're depriving the church of the abilities that God has given you to help the church. Right, Because he's given all of us those abilities and talents. But you're also making it harder for everyone else. See, as I mentioned earlier, here at Grace, dude, we need help. All right, we've got 875 serving opportunities a month. We only got 500 people that are, that are doing anything. All right, God has designed us to fit within church ministry. He has designed us. He has given us abilities and strengths to help the church. That's what the Bible teaches us. And as we get ready to launch this Tiffin campus, again, perfect opportunity for us. We are all pumped on staff. But when we get ready to, to launch this campus, man, we're going to need help. See, some of those 500 people that are doing stuff here every month, right, some of those people are going to go over there and help. That's going to leave even more holes over here. We need help. We have to come together as a church in order to dominate, right, in order to reach people, in order to reach our goals. And so for the next few couple years, man, it's all hands on deck here at Grace. We need your help, not just there, but also here. And so my challenge for you is to, to change the attitude in your heart. And I have to do this as well. You know, this is all of us. Choose not to compete with each other, right? Choose to, to get rid of pride. Instead of pride, have humility in your life. And choose to work together, and it takes action. See, if we all come together, and, and if we all row in the same direction, man, God's going to do something crazy here in Fremont. God's going to do something great in Tiffin. God's going to do something that we've never thought of before in Northwood, in Paulding, in Bloomville. We just got to row together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
God, we thank you for loving us. God, sometimes it's hard just to jump into something. Sometimes it's hard to, to choose to be involved. It freaks us out a little bit. God, we ask that you'd help us to take the next step in our faith. God, that we had we would remove the competition from our lives, that we remove the pride from our lives, and that we, instead of that, we'd have humility. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray for our church that it would continue to grow and that we would be unified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll see you back here next week.